Welcome back to Consuming the Craft Podcast. This is Puff. Today I have educational guru extraordinaire, uh, cider maker, graduate of the program, uh, adjunct, stalwart of the industry, uh, Mr. Greg Hill. Greg, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, and I mentioned uh, education. And so yep. kind of coming back full circle, you graduated from the program. People have probably heard your podcast with me before. Yep. Uh, and you, you've been gracious enough to come back here and, and listen to my ramblings. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't miss it. Yeah, right. I bribed you with booze. Uh, that being said, you've uh, you graduated. You've been the head cider maker at Urban Orchard now for quite some time. Almost. Well, we started almost 10 years ago. You're right. It'll be 10 in November. So this program is actually 10 in August, yep. which is crazy to say. Um, that being said, uh, you, you've been working that whole entire time and you were dumb enough to come back and adjunct for me. I was, yeah. And you, that got you more of the educational bug. You have your master's now yep. in um, training and development, training and development. And now you're working on your educational doctorate, Yep. which is different than ED. Yep. It's an EDD. EDD. Yep. Yep. And it's in uh, community college leadership, but it's really, I'm going after the leadership portion of it. Yeah. Um, because I feel as though the education in brewing is kind of disjointed or disjointed. Yeah. Both say. of those things. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's spread <laughs> um, out all over the country. And it's that, and there's no real um, symmetry between programs. So what I've seen and heard is that, you know, someone comes out of our program and has the theory and the hands-on and then comes from another program, only has theory, has no idea how to hook up a, a track lamp. Yeah. Which is an issue. I would think so if yeah. you're trying to hire somebody. Exactly. Um, so yeah. I want to look at helping the industry um, do like the different brewers associations kind of bring all that together and standardize it's, education. I would think that they're... See, what I would love is just to see our associate's degree, uh, Associate of Applied Science degree here for brewing, distillation, and fermentation apply to some potentially of these four-year degrees as well. Yep. So when you get to those four-year degrees, you already have you know half or three-quarters yep. of the curriculum. We can learning. transfer, yeah. yep. And, and, and we've talked about articulation agreements with a bunch of different places, but it, it just kind of falls by the wayside. I don't know what happens. I don't know how. But again, it's standardization of what you would learn in a two-year degree, what you should be learning in a four-year degree, right? whether you're going for this hands-on approach, whether you're going for a theoretical approach, because we, we need people at all levels, right? Yeah. We need people doing the research on, in your case, apples, or, or you still drink beer. I, I know this beer. for a yep. fact. <laughs> I've actually seen you uh, drink whiskey. Uh, I do like okay. whiskey and bourbon. <laughs> yes. Uh, occasionally. 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 Just, Everything just in moderation. Research. Yeah. Moderation. So it's it's... You know, if we don't have people improving grains, produce, whatever it is, we we aren't going to be able to move this industry any farther. Right, exactly. So it's really exciting to talk about those folks, but we also need people making the product, like you said, with yep. practical hands-on learning experience. Yeah, and with you know, with that education, um, you know, I mean, if you look at like the medical industry, you come out of medical school, everyone knows how to sew up a or stitch up yeah. a laceration. Yeah, every single person. They should. They should. I mean, mm -hmm. you hope so, but. Yeah. Um, so, but we don't have that in our industry. Right. We don't have someone that can come out of every single educational program and know how to turn on a pump and run it the right way and do a CIP and how it hooks up and what to off-gas and what not to off-gas and what tanks under pressure and what tanks not under pressure. Well, and, and you coming, you being a cider maker and you know other people making beer, wine, cider, spirits, there is some correlations between all of those. I oh, mean, yeah. a pump is going to 
not suck. It's going to push for the most part. Yep. All these centrifuge pumps versus positive displacement. But that being said, there's there's a lot of stuff that's individual to the cider industry, sure, uh, or wine industry yep. or beer industry that you know there can be specializations for those folks, and yep. there should be specializations sure. for those folks. But that being said, there's, there's also a lot, a lot of, of crossover too. There's a ton of basic stuff that you really need to know how to rebuild right. a pump. Yep. Like you said, how do you hook up the hoses? Which side does the product go in? What side does the product get pushed out? Uh, you know, that's pretty rudimentary stuff, but if you've not done it before, it can be kind of counterintuitive. Yep. Yeah, and and it can be intimidating too. If you walk in and you you don't know how to do it. I mean, the first time I ever saw a commercial brew house, I looked at all the hoses and all the pumps and all the valves and said, "How am I ever going to learn where all these go and how they all work?" Yeah, and but it, then it, once you work on it yep. for you know even a couple of months, you it's all ingrained in you and you know exactly, and you don't even think about it anymore. Well, and and. The thing is, is you you get better by doing. Yeah, right. Exactly. So make yep. it, we. That's what I've always told everyone here. Right. We make our mistakes here. Yep. So we don't make them out in the big kid world and cost somebody a pile of money. Right. Uh, and you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. That's, I mean, it practice makes perfect. Is a is an old 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 saying. It is. And um, what do you think about? So it was an apprenticeship apprenticeship model. A long time ago, it was. You, yeah. you, you know, it was you go and work, and I think that there's. Like as an electrician or a a brewer or well not so much a medical doctor. I mean it was that way. It was but a long it, time ago. Yeah. Barber or whatever it is, you you learn under someone, and I think we've gotten away from that model a little bit, and I think it's uh, not good. Yeah. I think learning real world, I, it, it's it's smart to come here and get hands on experience, and then go work someone. Go. That's why our internship program is the way it is. Sure. Well, I mean that also makes sense because. You, not only is there, like we talked about before, like the crossover between different types of booze making, but what we learn here is might be different from the traditional way another brewery did it. Right. So you might have to go in and say, okay, well, they're doing it this way because that's how they make their beer. It's a little bit different than what I learned, but the idea and the premise is still the same. It's just their little tweak well, on it. It's their systems different. Right. Right. Or sure. they, they use different valves or different or hoses. Or system. Of, yeah. Two hundred year system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, uh, Lida was telling me about a system over in Belgium that was run by um, belts, exposed belts really? all over the entire system. Wow. And I was, first of all, that's <laughs> frightening and scary Seriously. all at the same time. I mean, it's like getting decapitated anytime something fires up. But yeah, it was like all these, it, like that's completely different. And, and right. But they're still making beer. A hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. So it's a... Uh, you know, current good manufacturing practices are what we are trying to uh, instill in everyone here, but that doesn't work everywhere. Right. There's not, and that's what scares me about, not necessarily scares me about standardizing this education, but there needs to be some congruency between schools and what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to tell, because there isn't that way. Right. And, and, and I mean, it's one of the first things I tell students when I walk in and I start teaching them things and say, look, this is how how the majority of people are doing it, but you may walk into a brewery that they don't do it this way. Right. They have their own way of doing it because of tradition or however the brewmaster there learned from someone else, from someone else, from someone else. Or, or they don't have the equipment to do it that way. Right. That too. That, it's the technology, of, yeah. Well, uh, pitching yeast. Yep. So we teach you guys to count yeast, to pitch at the same rate, depending on how strong and concentrated the, the base material is. Yep. So that viability, it's you're pitching the same amount of viable yeast every time. Not everybody has the ability to count no, yeast. No, right. I mean, I've told students that in, in the biology class that I teach about how some um, brewers use the old one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. That's enough. Yeah. 
pulling out of the out of the bottom of a of a fermentation tank. Wait, into another one, and, and pumping and, it straight into another one. And, and there's probably very few brewers out there that haven't done that at one point. Sure, because it, as as people are getting more educated in the field and, and things are becoming more consistent and, and places grow, you add these things for quality control, quality assurance. Sure, but when I first started brewing, we didn't have a microscope. Nope. We had uh, we did it by the keg method, where we would harvest a keg of yeast from the middle cut of the cone. Yep. And whether depending upon the type of beer we're making, we might harvest one or two, and then we pitch that into the next one. Yeah. Some people weigh that keg. Some people don't weigh it. Yeah. Some people just count, like I said before, and some and, people just. And then you ask them why, and they're like, I don't know. The guy before me did it this that's, way. Well, and that's yeah. And so standardizing that, and that's you know we're we're trying to you know, get the exact same pitching rate every time, depending right. on the variables that are happening, which makes more consistent product, but not everybody can do that. So right. that's a, that's a great example of that. And in the cider world for you, uh, you are, you guys view it more like wine Yep. and you age your cider for a year, Yep. which is amazing that you have one space to do all that with all the products that you guys are, are producing. And the products that you're producing have been very, very consistent for, a long period of time. Fantastic. I really enjoy the cider you guys make, but what is the new trend? What is the new thing that you are, are, are tasked to do? So we've been looking at and hearing from different trends and different people about lower ABV ciders. Well, so we're seeing that in the beer kind of too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you see it everywhere. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's economical at some point well, for both parties. I want to be able to go to uh, an establishment like yours, have a cider, and be legal to drive home. Yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, I know the state of North Carolina for a while was talking about 0. .05, and I think it had passed. No, this is no that's, joke. Uh, passed, didn't know that they, there was a bill, and we would have been the second state in the fifty states to. Uh, so what to is get, that like? To a lower it. Half a glass. No, you smell. You smell a glass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, guys our size probably not so bad, right? But but you know the way people absorb and, and process alcohol is different for every individual. So there there are probably people, you know, at point zero five that wouldn't even realize it. No, not at all. Because if I were to sit down at a bar and have, I'm, I'm sure there's people at point zero eight that have no idea. Well, it, <laughs> that's also true. I mean, for bigger people like you and me, <laughs> no, it's no, the no. same thing. Like no, no, we it, could easily be at point zero eight and have no idea. But well, and. We, it's not our debut at drinking. Right. That's true, too. And that's that's not a good way to have it. And I don't want to drive. Right. Uh, but at point zero five, it, it, it's you and I could go and we could have t uh, an Imperial Stout somewhere and have to wait an hour to drive home. Yep. And I, and I, enjoy, I enjoy those type of beers. But that being said, I, I wouldn't be able then to enjoy them at an establishment. So that's where I think some of that trend... Not necessarily just... In I think people are wanting to be able to go someplace and have a couple. Sure. Be social. It's in you know watch a game or talk to somebody or uh, be on a date or something along those lines where they're still going to be okay. Right, they're still going to be kind of be in the right. And, and I'm finding too. I've done some some research as always, <laughs> finding that there is a. It's really really hard unless you're 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 tuned to it to detect the difference in the alcohol content between like a six percent beer and a five percent beer. Well, it, not only that, but some of these beers now, uh, the way that they're balanced. Yep. I mean, I had a, uh, I think it was an 11.5% beer that t t there's, I was like, no, trace. no, yeah. no. And it was scary because yeah. luckily for me, uh, I drank it on my couch and I was going to split it with my wife, but she's like, ah, I don't really like that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I drank the rest of it and then I go to get up 
to put the glass by the dishwasher and I was like I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. Cuz that was it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Whoa." Yeah. That's so, that's a way different, yeah. So yeah. I mean, but that's a nice trend. Like I like that idea too because it also makes it easier especially in the summertime, you know, if you're going to go and crush you know, go to the pool and crush three or four cans of cider in you, a in a three hour period. Yeah, a three hour period. <laughs> or you're at the, you're at the beach, tour. or you're at a ball game. Yeah. Or you, it doesn't even matter where you're at. Right. Yeah. And, but it's ice cold, and you want to chug it down. And and now it's a, a difference between like a like where we're normally between six six and a half percent. Right. We're looking at four to four and a half percent. I love so that a two idea. point drop, and and you can have multiples. Well, and that I mean, I get done mowing the lawn. I want something light, refreshing, sparkling, yeah. just like almost hydrating. Yeah. And and something at four percent, one alcoholic beverage. Uh, that has electrolytes, that has calories and things, will actually hydrate you faster. Yep. Uh, and so at 4%, it's it's uh, it's cost savings. For I you. just read this study. I, sh- I should forward it to you. Yeah. That um, water is like the number three or number four best hydrating liquid out there. And it has to have mineral content. Because it can't be pure it's, water. It's, it's <laughs> skim milk. Yeah. Um, I forget what the, the middle one was. Then it was whole milk. And then it was water. And you being a huge milk I'm fan. I'm a huge milk fan. So, so, so I ate that entire milk. <laughs> I read that it was an article on CNN, and then I went to the actual journal article, so, like the scientific journal article, and read that too. So my last podcast was called Moo's Clues, and I had my daughter come in, and we did milk tasting. What? We did. And, and I should have saved the milk tasting for you, because you are not just a... You are an enthusiast. Oh, yeah. You go to the milk store to get more milk. Yep. That's all I ever go for. I uh, actually did the math. I think I, it was around like $2,500 a year I spend on milk. I drink <laughs> I drink close to six to seven gallons a week. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I drink a lot of milk. <laughs> I uh, We're doing a milk tasting with the North Carolina Craft Beverage Museum uh, in Raleigh. You should come when, over with me. When? It's, it's uh, this fall at the Dairy Museum. I'm in. Yeah. You're you should come over. Yeah, uh, so she did uh, goat milk versus, uh, I think it was 2%. Yeah. We tried those side by side. And then she did uh, non-organic chocolate milk and organic chocolate milk. And then we talked uh, sensory. She did a great job. That's yeah. awesome. I yeah. want to listen to that podcast. I'll look it up. It, it, it's fun. She's Yeah, she's a lot of fun. Um, and speaking about sensory, uh, I found a gem for us to try today. Awesome. Uh, I think it was just released actually in our state because uh, you said you saw it on the shelf finally. I did um, yesterday. I, I was getting milk. <laughs> you were kidding. <laughs> it is uh, the Oktoberfest Fest beer from Sierra Nevada. Now, truth be told, um, I was lucky enough to get this uh, a couple, three weeks ago from a student. Nice. And I have uh, already introduced myself to this beer on numerous occasions. Uh, it's even 6%. They did it with a small, I don't want to say craft brewery from Germany, but it's a tinier, a smaller brewery in Germany. Uh, the Kierweiler Brewery, I believe is how you pronounce it, but I probably also destroyed that pronunciation. <laughs> um, so give it a taste. Tell me what you smell and taste. Uh, and then I'll tell you what I think of the beer. Um, this time of year, as it's getting colder, uh, you know, the, the football season is a- approaching and it's just a smell in the air. It's got a super clean, malty nose to it. Yeah. There's just a little bit of hop aroma mm-hmm. to, to kind of counteract some of that sweetness. Um, mm. 
That is delicious. Uh, it, honestly, um, the first sip is as mm. good as the third. <laughs> um, I think that this beer is so well balanced. And a lot of times that bitterness will build on the back of your tongue. This is such a clean, palate-cleansing bitterness that is balanced so well with the sweetness of the beer. Um, oh, you can smell the, like, There's almost like a honey sweetness to, a, to the A little bit. Too. A little bit. Like the, the, but the maltiness in the beer doesn't like overwhelm the balance of what's in the beer. I, I just think this is absolute dynamite. It's great. You know what the best thing is, too, is I've now swirled and... and sniffed yeah several times and each time i'm getting at something a little bit different no there's a lot there's a lot of complexity you, there's not in only a, in a simple beer in a, but it's so good it's so good nothing is out of balance Mm-mm. it's it's um it's a beer you could see yourself drinking with eating damn near anything mm-hmm. i mean it could go with dessert it could go with an entree it could go with appetizer and it's it's deli- it's so i'm getting good. i'm getting mexican food later <laughs> It's perfect. It would be perfect with that. That's what I'm getting. It would get. help with the the heat. It would cleanse yeah. it off your palate. Mm-hmm. And the and like, you know, a lot of the, I wouldn't say a lot. Some of the other Oktoberfests I've had already this year because it's, truth be told, it's one of my favorite. It's one of mine, of yeah, yeah. It, it's just that time of year, and it's, uh, and it's uh, this one is a little bit lighter than their last year's fair too. Like color wise. Uh, on the malt side of things, it's beautiful. It's this amazing beer. Yeah, mm. and I'm a big fan of Oktoberfest. I mean, I've been to Oktoberfest three times in in Munich so, and so drank I, this beer, and this is a, a beautiful rendition. This is what I think. This is more apropos to what they actually sell at Oktoberfest. One hundred percent. It's not uh, the copper color. This is a little bit more golden. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more traditional. It's more. It's oh. a fest beer. It's not an Oktoberfest style. Right. Beer. And the fest beer is really what they're serving over there right now. I think at six percent and as clean as it is and as as well balanced as it is, uh, I will tell you um, that I was lucky enough to get a six pack ahead of time. Uh, this was actually not out of my six pack. This was out of Lay's six pack, <laughs> so we stole it out of his. Uh, and uh, yeah, for research purposes, well, we needed it. I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. Yeah, this is the last beer of out of his six pack. Because I drank the other five, too. <laughs> he has got none of them. <laughs> That's amazing. But I just, I really enjoy this beer. No, I appreciate you sharing it and saving it for me, because it is a beautiful beer. It, it, it's 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 about as, it's about as, like, good as I've had a yeah, beer in a long time. Yeah, now I'm going to have to call my beer rep over at the cidery and have them bring me some samples. Yeah, exactly. Be like, oh, I should try this. And then... <laughs> Let me see if I'm going to order for I, the bar. I, hey, wait, I've heard that they uh, just released that. Is it any good? <laughs> Uh, that and uh, a, a student um, that works there now brought me some Ruthless Rye. I don't know if you've had that one. I'll give you a bottle of that. To, it, it, as far it, I know you're a huge fan of Browns. I am. Um, and that's probably your favorite uh, favorite style of beer. Um, I know somebody that just uh, mashed in an Imperial Brown the other day, too. And I'll let you know. I'll let you know who nice. that is. Um, that being said, that Ruthless Rye is fantastic, too. Is it? Nice. Really, really well done beer. I mean, they make good beer over there. I don't think I've had a bad one. This mm. this one in particular is is. <laughs> it's probably one of the best ones I've had that they've ever made. Well, honestly, yeah. And I try a, b- a bunch of their beers just because I, they're they're here in the local. Well, and it, it's it's fresh and it's good. And yeah, it, I, I don't really have fantastic. like stylistically they're always appropriate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they're really really spot mm. on and and yeah, I'm always excited to see what they're coming out with next. But 
I'm glad I got to save one for you. Cause yeah. If you hadn't showed up today, I don't think it would have made it through the weekend. I doubt it. I wouldn't have let it. No. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. No, yeah. Cheers. Um, so what's new uh, after you graduate? What You're going to get your ED, yeah. your educational doctorate. What are you going to do? What are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to do the same thing I'm doing. I'm just going to make everybody call me Doc. That's the only difference. No, no, I really am going to uh, really start pushing to, to become more um, involved with the different associations to try to push that educational piece um, and standardize it and get people more. Well, part of it also is to help standardize employment where right now it's it's education preferred instead of education mandatory yeah. or required. Yeah. Where I think that the, the only way that this industry will continue to thrive as it is, is to push towards it being a mandatory requirement that you have a brewer's education in order to get a job. Like you wouldn't hire an electrician who has just stood by his dad and helped him hold a flashlight, you know, no. right? And why would you hire a home brewer with no commercial experience and no education to brew your beer for you? Um, you're going to have a better chance. That's what my, my, my dissertation and my study is going to be on the quality of beer versus the success of the brewery versus who they hire. So okay. if they're hiring educated brewers, the hypothesis is that they have higher quality well, beer and they're more out successful. Out of the get-go. I mean, right. out of the opening of the doors, you bet. That yeah. makes more sense. Right. Because, I mean, there are cases here in town uh, of people not hiring educated brewers and their beer not being very good and them not lasting very long. Yeah. So there is a correlation already seen in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think you start looking nationwide. I mean, this could certainly be an example of it. And, and it's not to say that you couldn't come from without a background, but that being said, if you're going to put your hard earned money into a place, right. Wouldn't you want to get the best candidate for that position? Yeah. So I'm going to look this like statistically the, the, the theory is, is that you'd be better off with an educated brewer. Well, and that goes to distillation. Yeah. It goes to uh, yeah, winemaking. It goes, I, I think it's more standardized in winemaking, though, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think that most uh, You people... can't be a home winemaker and get in and, and work at Julio Gallo. You know, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I, I, well, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and uh, yeah, that, that's more of established in the wine industry. Uh, and I would assume... Um, from what I've seen as far as like people advertising for distillers, certainly they're looking for a lot of experience and some sort of uh, educational background as well. It's right. just weird that we don't have that already in brewing. No. I, and I know that there's tiers depending on the size of the place sure. where they're looking for. And, know, I, and I get bringing in someone to, to run or to, you know, load cans that doesn't have an education. Sure. I get that point. But if you're going to hire a brewer to run your operation or run your beer, make your beer, you're better off getting one that's that's formally educated and has experience. Yeah, well, and I've actually been contacted by uh, a brewery recently. It doesn't matter which one it was, but they were like, I want to send one of my employees to your program. How much does it cost? And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Invest in your people. Yep. Invest in their education. They're going to help you make more money. Yeah, in the I'm, we're doing the same thing. I mean, I have that one candidate that I'm trying to get into the program too. Yep. And and the other people that, that I hire, I don't hire unless they have an education. Sure. Um, sure. But he came in at a lower level and now wants to move up. So and part of that moving up process is he's got to get educated. Yeah. No, I, but that makes sense. He's investing. One thing about education is no one can take it away from you once right. you've achieved it. Yep. Right. Exactly. And so even if, uh, you know, the, 
something happens. Life life always happens, right? Right. right. You got to move back to Puerto Rico to take care of a loved one. Yeah. Um, you can take that piece of paper with you. You can. Yeah. You can. You can take that with you. Yep. And they, and they can't take it away. Nope. And that's awesome. Yeah. And and think about that when you're investing in your own future, like you have, uh, by getting this doctorate. Yeah. I, uh, I like collecting pieces of paper. <laughs> <laughs> you just want people to call you Doc. I do. I do. <laughs> Doc Hill. Yep. That's pretty. That's kind well, of pretty. I mean, there's writing. also some a, a personal side of it too. I'll actually be a fourth generation doctor. Really? Yep. It's just something that happened. Well, I know your dad. My dad's, dad's a, a physician. Yep. My his father and mother were both physicians. My so my you didn't da- take up the family business, huh? No, <laughs> I was talked out of it actually. Uh, that's fair. And then my my grandfather, so my paternal side, his parents, one was a physician and one and the his mother was a PhD in English. Wow, I was a teacher, professor. Wow. Interesting. So you just want to make cider. You'll have your doctorate. Yep. Uh, hopefully we can get you in touch with, I'm sure you've been in touch with the BA and, and some of these other. I've talked to a couple of people at, at different um, levels, but, yeah. I, but once I have the doctorate in another, after I do my dissertation, then I'll really start pushing to get on the boards and do things with how, them. Uh, how many more years you got? One more year of class and then a year of dissertation. Well, let me know what I can do to help as always. I've, sure. I've been I a, a sounding board in the past and, and um, yeah. That's going to be coming real soon, actually. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> no, I, I no, but I you've uh, you've interviewed me a couple times for whatever paper here, yep. ever whatever paper there. So uh, I, I'd be happy to give my insight, even though you know I I probably need contacts too to well, get in touch with people. I've been doing this now ten years. I can't believe it. I know in August yep. this month. Holy yep. crap! Uh, yeah. So it, it's kind well, of congratulations. A, well, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks. I do it for the money. Yeah, the loads and loads of money, yeah. just like we all do. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I can't thank you enough for being here, Greg. My pleasure. Uh, I'm glad I got to share this beer with you. Uh, stop by anytime, and I know I'm going to be seeing you. You know, in this upcoming semester, as you're going to be teaching another class for me. Yep. Uh, I appreciate that as well that you share your experience and uh, your cantankerous ways with the students. <laughs> Love to. <laughs> It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> and I can't thank Danny McConnell from McConnell Farms enough uh, for sponsoring this podcast. A fly just landed in my beer, and I just f- get out of there. That's my beer, bud. That is not your beer. Oh, that just angers me. I got him. Spit it out, bud. Thanks once again for everybody listening. Remember to listen, laugh, and learn with Consuming the Craft.